Well, hello everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Know My Nursing Story. My name is Dr. Tiffany Kelly, and I am very excited today because what I, who I have with me is Dr. Janet Sweeney Rico, and I've known Janet for goodness, uh, <laughs> gosh, I don't know how many years. Maybe you know, not ten yet, but probably somewhere between seven and eight years. Shortly after I finished my PhD. And Janet is the assistant dean for graduate programs at Northeastern University. Um, just wait until I, I share her background. She's practiced in nursing homes, rehab and clinic settings, home care, emergency, urgent care, and inpatient settings as a nurse practitioner and presently practices in the emergency department at Massachusetts General Hospital. She received her Bachelor's of Science in Nursing from St. Anselm's College, her Master's in Primary Care and Family Nurse Practitioner from the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, an MBA with a specialization in healthcare from Boston University, and her PhD in Law and Public Policy from Northeastern University. Wow. Um, she has served as the Chair of the Massachusetts Board of Registration in Nursing, the Co-Chair of Massachusetts Task Force for Medically Complex Individuals, turning 22 with IDDD on the boards of the ARC of Massachusetts and VinFen Corporation and on the Massachusetts Patient-Centered Medical Home Council. I mean, Janet, when do you sleep? She <laughs> presently serves on Fallon Community Health Plan's board of directors and as chair of Fallon's Safety and Quality Committee. She also serves on the ARC of Massachusetts Board of Directors and as chair of the Steering and Policy Committee. She serves on the Massachusetts PCA Workforce and Advisory Councils and is a fellow in the National Academy of Practice. Janet was the 2018 recipient of Massachusetts Department of Developmental Disabilities Alan Crocker Award for Leadership and Critical Care for Individuals with Intellectual and Developmental Disabilities. Janet is also the 2019 recipient of the ARC of Massachusetts Joseph Andrade Award for Leadership and was awarded the 2020 American Academy of Nurse Practitioners Massachusetts Award for Excellence in Advocacy. Wow. And for anyone that wants to take a peek at what I've just said, I will put the by her Janet Dr. Rico's bio in the show notes so you can take a look if there's something you want to follow up and ask her about. Um, so I'm very grateful, Janet, that you took an hour out of your day to, to be here with me and, and um, participate in this interview. So thank you for joining us today. Um, I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you so much, Tiffany. I'm just so honored to be here because all of what I've done is as a nurse. Right. And it's, a, it's, it's my passion. Um, it's got a broad scope. Uh, and it really has been one of the biggest joys of my life is being a nurse. So I'm very, very excited to be here today. Um, you know, Janet, I shared with you that I felt that the need to start this podcast to show others just how uh, much someone can do in the field of nursing and the variety of activities that you're involved in really represents how, how present nurses can be mm -hmm. and, um, and busy and, and not just taking on one responsibility, but often many that contribute to a larger goal. But before we go into some of those, I, you know, is there, um, I want to take it back to what made you decide you wanted to become a nurse? Mm. Well, you know, it's really interesting. I guess I was one of the traditional um, uh, career-minded uh, young woman of the, well, really in the 70s is when I went back to, to my um, nursing program. And my grandmother was a nurse. Uh, my grandmother was a, had been in the hospital in nursing, but, you know, her vast majority of her career was as a community health nurse. And she worked in the, um, you know, with the poor in Boston. She worked actually in an occupational health setting for textile uh, textile mills in Fall River, where she actually met my grandfather. So she is sort of the epitome of outside of the hospital uh, nursing um, opportunities. And that was, we're talking in the, you know, in the 40s, 30s, 40s, 50s. So um, I would listen to her stories, look at her books, um, and just became really very interested in, in the work that she had done um, as a nurse. So that was probably the, the biggest, I think, motivator for me to look into nursing. Um, 
she was very creative, uh, very compassionate, um, and you know, really concerned about vulnerable populations. So again, I think at the tender age of, you know, whatever, three or four, I was talking about wanting to be a nurse. So oh my gosh, wow. Where that came from. <laughs> That's amazing. And to think you, you know, you had that influence at such mm -hmm. a young age. Um, mm -hmm. Wow. So I've highlighted some of your, some of your um, roles in nursing, but if you wouldn't mind just sharing what your nursing journey has been like to date, mm -hmm. And if there are any highlights you think would be important for other nurses to know and consider for their own career. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I, I, it's been quite an um, unplanned journey. And when I talk to students about the possibilities, I actually remind them that they don't have to plan, really. I mean, I know you'll be told you should be planning out your future. And, but, you know, it's really interesting that in this profession, it can just happen. And so I started out going to a traditional four-year bachelor program. And at the time, you know, there was a mix of opportunities then, right? We had three-year programs mostly. Um, I don't believe at the time there were two-year programs, but three-year programs and, and bachelor of nursing programs. And I selected that because I really didn't know, you know, where I was going to go with nursing. Um, and I ended up doing the traditional out of the, out of the box into a, a hospital setting. But as I was in the hospital setting, I began to think about things that I was seeing that I wanted to help prevent. And then I began to think about wanting to become uh, an APRN, a nurse practitioner. Um, I felt that I wanted more autonomy. I wanted to make a difference as far as preventing some of the things that I saw in the med surge floor. And um, so I started to investigate that. But Around that time, I got a little antsy and a friend of mine was talking about going out to California to work. And so I put everything I owned in my Dodge Colt hatchback, which you probably don't know what that is, but it's a very, very small little car. And took my girlfriend and I, and we went cross country without a job, but we knew there was work in California. And I ended up at Stanford okay. in the medical ICU, walked in. And when I was interviewed, very excited to start critical care, just want to try it out. And I, I, I was a little bit naive, I suppose, at the time, but they were talking about something. They didn't know why these people were coming in so immunocompromised, but that I would be caring for them. And was I, was I okay with that? And of course I was. And so I was in the beginning of the AIDS epidemic out in California um, with patients that had immunodeficiency disease of unknown etiology without any PPE, as we talk about PPE now. Wow. <laughs> we had none because we didn't even know how it was transmitted. So that was the beginning of my, um, yeah. And so I did that for a while and then still without a diagnosis and then moved into grad school at UNC Chapel Hill, uh, University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill for their family practice program uh, a year later. So, and then from there um, did, you know, the, the full two year program at UNC and then came back up to Boston um, where my family was from and really wasn't sure what I was going to do and ended up interviewing so again, I came up thinking I would be in a community health center or a private practice as a family NP, but at the time there weren't as many jobs in family practice here. And I interviewed at a company, <laughs> the last thing I would have ever thought I would do. And actually it was a primary care setting within a cor corporation and ran a clinic for a company that was self-funded, meaning they paid their own insurance bills and worked with a physician there too that came in you know, uh, a few times a week and a psychologist and we ran a clinic there within a corporation. Um, but so that I didn't feel isolated, I also got a job at Harvard Community Health Plan, an HMO, health maintenance organization, and worked every other weekend there um, so that I could have colleagues that I could learn from. Because I think as a new nurse and certainly as a new NP, you really need to be around, I felt very strongly, I needed to be around mentors. And so those were my mentors and they pretty much were the, I will say they're all women, the mothers of NPDM because they all came out of their programs in the sixties and seventies. And they were my, my mentors at Harvard community health plan while I worked in within the corporation too. So it's a pretty cool, cool combination. I did that for a number of years and then, um, Oh, I guess I got married somewhere in there and then I had a kid, a child and I ended up doing, um, a, um, a practice with a geriatrician doing long-term care and rehab, taking call 
actually one of the best jobs I've ever had was, was doing that job because I was really challenged. It was full scope of practice. And I felt like I was really doing something, even though you think about long-term care and nursing homes, how much fun could that be? But they were so sick and there was so many needs and the nurses needed education as well. And, you know, I was a mentor to some of them and I, I just really loved that, that practice. And oh, by the way, during that time, I was also teaching. Um, that just happened. I was asked to precept um, when I was working in the occupational health senate setting and realized how much I love teaching. So I wanted that to be part of my nursing role. And I ended up doing uh, per diem teaching at uh, Simmons College. Loved that. Was mentored by faculty there to teach more. And it evolved into a half and half time position. And it just happened. I didn't plan yeah. it this way. I didn't plan it this way. And then I ended up doing a, um, a, a home care practice um, also while I was teaching um, and then ended up doing also a practice within um, uh, within the at Mass General on one of the floors. We were supporting the junior residents on the floors, mostly with a lot of documentation and orders. It wasn't as um, rewarding as I had hoped it would be, but it was still an experience and I learned a lot. Yeah, and, and ended up in the emergency at Boston City, uh, Boston Medical Center uh, for a while. And I can't even, I'm losing track of even when I did all these things. But and then I ended up at the emergency observation unit at Mass General, um, where I'm practicing now uh, per diem while I teach. The teaching just happened. Um, and I just became fell in love with teaching. Um, it uh, My first love is, I think, clinical and teaching. I really absolutely love it. So anyway, that's my journey. It's quite um, a maze almost in many ways and somewhat unplanned, but I think if you follow your passion um, and you look for mentors along the way, um, it has been an incredible ride. Yeah. You know what I really like that you said, because I feel this way too sometimes is it just happened. Like you said that a few times and it's that that's the way it's been for me. Like so many of the things I've done were not planned. Um, it just happened. <laughs> and so I think that's important for people to just be open to absolutely, you know, what's in front of them and, and what comes their way. But the mentorship is huge as well. And um, Tiffany talks about this with my students when she comes into my class about her, her journey and, you know, very also unplanned, but mentors and, and taking opportunities and really being excited about and taking risks, not for patients, not in any way, shape or form, taking a position you're not qualified for, you don't feel prepared for, but taking risks with just challenging yourself. And that's what makes life interesting. Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, taking those, you know, stretching risks of, um, well, I'm not sure if this is for me or not, but it seems like it's worth a shot type of thing. In terms that's of right. And having the confidence that, you can do it if you want to. And I think that's really important too, because I don't know that I've always had the confidence early on. Um, I still don't, I mean, I don't push myself to things I know that I'm not, I don't have the competencies for, of course. So, right. um, yeah. Now, um, tell us a little bit about how you decided to pursue a doctoral degree mm -hmm. and your doctoral degree is in law and public policy. So tell mm -hmm. us about that as well. Well, you know, I, again, unplanned, I was over at Simmons and the dean um, told me that basically if I wanted to stay in education, um, higher ed, that I needed to get a doctorate. And at the time, I'll share with you, I had a um, significantly um, disabled daughter who I was also you know, caring for at home and planning her future and doing all of the things that needed to happen for her and another child as well. So I wasn't really interested in <laughs> doing any more than what I was doing. And um, so it actually really was something that just, you know, you really need to start thinking about it. And I thought about it and I chose a program that I could do within my, my life. Um, and so, you know, I know, um, you know, Tiffany, your PhD was, you know, full time and you, you, you made a huge commitment to make that move, which, you know, most many PhD programs are set up that way. And that's, you know, really, if you can do it that way, God, that's wonderful. Mine was one that it was at Northeastern and it wasn't Lauren policy. And at the time you could do it part-time. And I had looked into other programs and they weren't as flexible. Plus I really, you know, I just wanted something where I would be with um, people outside of my, my discipline. Now I'm not saying that's the route to go just for me. It was, um, 
And I really was interested in policy and policy as it relates to um, you know, the healthcare system, um, the MBA had kind of pushed me that way. And that was another thing that just happened to the, the company that I worked for at the time was willing to pay for it. So I went after it. Why not? Right. I mean, I wanted to learn about the financing and the inner workings of healthcare at the time. So, so it was really that, that was kind of how it all happened. And I um, chose Northeastern again, for many reasons. I liked the fact that it was going to be multidisciplinary. I mean, I went to, to classes with people, across every discipline um, and um, that it was somewhat flexible. Right. Yeah, you know, that's how I ended up at Northeastern for my master's was the, the part-time option. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. similar to what you said, the looking, you know, really learning something new. I, I, I did the MBA as well, just to, to really understand how, how does healthcare work? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, wow. Um, now you're also an associate dean of nursing. Um, well, I, assistant dean, but that's just oh, a title. It does, whatever. Yes. Okay, yes. Sorry. <laughs> oh, that's fine. No. no. Um, so tell us. You, you mentioned a little bit about um, entering teaching and how you entered into the role of getting a doctorate degree, but taking on an assistant deanship—that's that's a whole nother responsibility. Hmm. Um, how did you make the decision to do that? Oh, and then this is quite a story too. <laughs> this is really a story. Well, you know, I, again, as I mentioned, my my true love is um, is taking care of patients and families, and and teaching. So, and of course, my my policy work. Um, and actually, to be really honest, I took a year um, off of of teaching. I left and I I practiced and I did my policy work. And I was trying to figure out, you know, my next my next step in my career. And I ended up going over to Northeastern to meet with uh, um, another faculty member that was interested in helping me helping with her with uh, a grant that she was working on. And, and I honestly, that's exactly what happened. <laughs> I went over and talked to her and then ended up talking to a couple of uh, other you know, people in leadership and they, they mentioned this position. And so really, again, not something I planned. Um, and once I got over there and I started talking to people uh, and realizing what an incredible group of people there, there are over there and, and how challenging it would be and exciting, I ended up getting you know chosen for the position. I ended up going saying that I would apply for it and then I ended up getting the position. I think that I think it just kind of follows through from my love of, of teaching having directed a, a program in the past and mentored new faculty, I was really excited to be able to, the, the opportunity to be able to mentor more faculty and to be able to help um, um, be an advocate. I, w- I will I really will say advocate for our profession in right. a, a little bit more of a leadership role. Again, it's not something I went after. I'm not really into um, titles or, you know, um, I'm just not, and I, I, you know, it just doesn't feed me, but the opportunity for what I could do was, was really pretty clear. And I think it's been, you know, quite a, quite an enjoyable ride. I've been there now going into my seventh year. So. Wow. Well, you know, it's, um, it, it ties in, you know, I think about one of the things I'm always sort of talking and thinking about is like, how do we scale knowledge and, you know, from an innovation perspective and just your, your mention of, the role you took allows you to mentor more faculty. Like that's, that's an example of like scaling your knowledge in, in a specific way. That's mm-hmm. helping others that are, that are moving up in their, their career as well. Um, right. How do you balance the academic role with the practice role? And then also the advocacy, um, Based on what I'm hearing from you, it feels like it, it just naturally fits with your, <laughs> your, your flow and how you, you know, sort of view the work that needs to be done. But I'd love to hear. Yeah, that's a great question. I, you know, it's, it is interesting that it does, it does all, it's, it, I guess it's, it's my personality, my yeah. passion, um, and, and actually teaching does give me the opportunity um, to, to do those things. Because, you know, if I was in a, it just, it just does. Um, it just gives me more flexibility, I think. And, um, and it is valued. Um, you know, the, the fact that, um, where I'm overseeing nurse practitioner and anesthesia programs and DNP and PhD program really is, um, 
being a clinician still and still practicing, although I, I'm really happy I haven't been able to do as much as I would like to do. I mean, it should be a day a week, but it's every other 12 hour shift, every other Saturday. Um, you know, it, it does fit. Uh, and the, the policy work is mostly, um, you know, evening stuff. Um, but also you can interweave. So, so in teaching, you can actually weave in your policy work or your advocacy interest into your academic position because yeah. for instance i have students that go to certain locations that i've been able to advocate to get them in there for rotations with um, helping people with intellectual developmental disabilities and increasing awareness um, there you can do research you know research in areas that you're really interested and passionate about so and you can also help again um, instill those passions you know with your students yeah. You know, so that's what's kind of cool. It's like your entrepreneurship and innovation to be able to really, you know, put that light bulb on in a student and get them interested. And I've seen you do that even in the short, you know, three hour class when you come into Northeastern. That's pretty cool. Yeah, um, it is really. I mean, I, I agree with you in terms of the teaching. It's it's really powerful when you can. Present uh information and knowledge to students and just sort of like see it happen you know mm -hmm. you see the switch go on and it's like yeah. all of a sudden then then those that are interested in whether it's policy or innovation they they're it's they just keep wanting more and well, it's part of our legacy in some ways too isn't yeah. it it's like what we're leaving behind and, and to be able to close the chapter sometime in your career, whenever that is. And, but to know that you did that is just really pretty cool. Yeah, I agree. Cause I, and you know, there are some professors that have really like changed the way I think. Mm -hmm. And, um, that like, I, I will never forget that mm -hmm. or have changed the way I even behave yeah. um, in terms of being a professional nurse and you know you just don't forget that so if I mean if you're able to do that for even one person and there or maybe two right if you can do it for two and then that <laughs> person that each of those two do it for two right, right. multiple multiplicative um, influence. Well, even as a nurse, you know, anywhere that you're working as a nurse, say in a, a community setting or in a, you know, the hospital setting, or I mean, where nurses are now, they're everywhere as patients are everywhere, right? Right. Um, to be able to do that, you don't have to be a professor. You don't you just, right. you know, you can think about that and, and how you can actually really help the, 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 the one that's coming up behind you um, grow. Right. That's really pretty cool. And you can do that, you know, throughout your whole career. Yeah, no, definitely. And especially when you're a brand new nurse, that's, that's so important to find mm -hmm. someone who you can sort of learn from and take, <laughs> be sort yeah. of under their wing. Attached at the hip kind of thing, <laughs> like I was. Oh God, that poor woman. <laughs> right, where you feel safe and connected. Right, right on YouTube. Right. Um, so you've obviously done quite a bit in your career to date, and I'm sure there's more coming. Uh, is there any particular bucket list item <laughs> of something you'd like to experience oh. as in your career? Well, you know, it's, it is really interesting as I, um, you, you know, I, I do want to put out here that, um, you know, we had a um, community, a whole, really it was a home care symposium last June at, at um, Northeastern, yes. highlighting, highlighting the need for um, community care, um, nurses and how you know hospital at home and the acuity out there in the field now is exponentially greater than you know it was you know five ten years ago right so so i just want to highlight that um and so for me you know i'm i work at the i work right now where i work well first of all because i really like the people there and i'm challenged but you know it it, it it's limited right I, I i because of my schedule i can go i don't take call i'm not doing follow-up and for right now that's the only thing that really it's going to work with my life. Um, but I do, I have a lot of interest now in thinking about palliative care and the, I, I actually been meaning to, and I'm probably going to um, contact um, a couple of people that I know that are doing palliative care work. Cause I would really be interested in, 
you know, you don't just walk into it. So, you know, <laughs> I mean, I don't know if I have the time to do a fellowship, but I, I really am very, very interested in pal care. And, you know, we need to really be pushing the agenda for, you know, payment restructure for pal care. Um, yeah. You know, I think with our bundle payment, you know, which is coming down, which is here now. I mean, this FIFA service is probably going to be by the wayside, who knows when, but if there's changes are coming, um, that palliative care will be given the, the priority um, that it should have. Um, so I am very interested in looking into doing pal care right now, actually. Um, yeah, so we'll see, but that would definitely be in my bucket list. Yeah, um, yeah I think that's, yeah. I mean, that's such an important area of healthcare that, that, you know, where people are so vulnerable at that point in their lives and, um, it, you know, just to be able to make that experience for everyone as, um, what's the word I'm going to use? High quality, I guess. Would yeah. be as possible. You know, just even accessible, because I know even in my own personal life, it, it was hard to find a palliative care uh, provider who, you know, would even be willing to come to the house or that would be following, you know, following you, um, you know, with, you know, with your family member. So it is, um, it's something that really is a, a huge need in our society. Again, I just want to highlight too, that I would also like to become even more involved in uh, shaking up the, um, the, the preparation of our nurses for community care. I'm on a, I'm on a rampage about it. I, what? the secretary for health and human services, um, Mary Lou Sutters was, was yeah. going to come and speak to some of the, um, we were going to, we were planning to invite all the nursing programs again in the state if they were interested in, in meeting with her, but we, we really, we just need to figure it out because our students in general are not giving as many, given as many opportunities out in community settings to really appreciate the acuity out there and the autonomy, the independence, the challenge of, of owning community care, which I feel nursing should be owning. So that's what I want to do next too. You know, I think the timeliness of this, uh, of that in context of what mm -hmm. we're going through right now, like right. I, I don't watch every day um, Baker's, because uh, we're in Massachusetts, Baker, Governor Baker's uh, um, press briefing. But in the very beginning of COVID, I was watching consistently. And uh, Mary Lou Sutter's is, is, was always next in line, or at least at the podium to mm -hmm. give an update. And if you think about where we're sort of trying to make an impact is in the communities right. to prevent the virus from spreading and understanding what is it at the, the community needs. So I couldn't agree more because I really think we need to look at healthcare more um, from a, how do we prevent, how do we prevent some of these um, chronic conditions from sort of developing yeah. in a systematic way beyond, uh, you know, make sure you exercise and, Eat a healthy diet. Like right. You know, oh, that drives me. It doesn't drive me nuts. Wellness is really important, but that is so not all nursing does. Oh my gosh. No. So I, I really feel like we need to uh, switch it up. We need to own community care. We need to be looking at, you know, epidemiological da data, you know, the contact tracing data. I did a, actually a webinar a few weeks ago, something like that. All the time is fl flowing together yeah, right now. I think I was on that one. The, uh, oh, that's okay for Northeastern. Yes. And, yeah. and so I had interviewed numerous nurses working out in community settings um, and, and, and how they're dealing with COVID. And it was just unbelievable the work that they're doing out there. So when I think you would ask me earlier, one of the questions you might be interested in is what does the public, what are they not aware of? They're not aware of the complexity of nursing at all do and people coming into nursing probably aren't either because all they see on tv for the most part is you know ed setting or the nurse in the hospital and it's so so much richer than that it's i mean not to say i'm not downplaying my god what we do in the hospital but right. i'm just saying that there's just so much to it and you know, these nurses were looking at um you know contact tracing data they were you know, figuring out what the kind of uh, PPE that needed to be done, used in different situations very early on without any really support, you know, looking at CDC stuff and dealing with DPH, Departments of Public Health in different towns. And right. wow, it was just keeping the homeless, you know, um, and people with mentally ill safe. And 
I was blown away. I was in awe of my profession. I was in awe and I get tingles even thinking about all the conversations I had. Um, I need to write it up. I know, but <laughs> that's for a whole lot. Then we write too, don't we? <laughs> it's like, yes, we, we, yes, in the spare time, we, we write and publish. <laughs> like in well, the some of us do. I've been doing that lately, but yes. <laughs> well, and you know, my, I have a background in informatics and contact tracing. I mean, is, is, it may may not um, overtly seem informatics oriented, but it is because you're oh, absolutely. gathering data about the how the virus could have spread to be able to track and hopefully mitigate. And using technology and you know, oh, absolutely, and you know, so I just um, I, I you know I really see my my I envision us all out not to be selling Amazon at all but I mean you know the little Amazon not a big Amazon truck with you know maybe a team you know you have possibly an NP and you have a you know a, an RNLPN and maybe that you know we we're actually improving access to because we're nurses that's what we do I mean how do you think we became NPs we became NPs because there were access issues right I mean they needed us in areas that didn't have doctors I mean that's what we do I mean call the midwife just watch that no <laughs> You know, what's frustrating for me, you know, using sort of the, the Amazon model as a, as an example, sort of like the, the uh, operational uh, supply chain where mm -hmm. the item gets presented to the person who bought it. They don't go looking for it, right? So it's this push versus pull. And I, what frustrates me is, you think about all of the older aging adults that um, are on medications for either chronic conditions or whatever the reason might be, but they're not able to drive anymore mm -hmm. or they don't want to leave their homes or they don't want to drive. But so why are we not looking at flipping it? Like, <laughs> yeah, well, of course, it's payment, you know, reimbursement, but, but again, with the capitated systems coming down, you know, ACOs and all the other capitated pay, the PACE programs and MCOs. I mean, if we look at, you know, how we're paying for things, I think hopefully nursing will have even more of an open door to really rattle the cage and get in there and make change. You know, I do want to say here, I just really quickly, um, I'm probably talking too much to no, not at all. I, I will tell you that, and I did share this on the webinar too for the community care. I do want to highlight that, you know, in my journey, I mentioned earlier that I had a, a child who actually a young woman who passed um, almost 29 last year. But I will tell you that my lifeline, and I'm not kidding, and I live, I, you know, I'm working in the, you know, in Boston. I've worked at a number of different hospitals. My lifeline was a BSN prepared nurse. And I really need everyone to understand that. This woman was just my lifeline. She worked in the neuro clinic, but through the years, I actually followed her from one neurologist at a major medical center who left. She, I followed her when she changed jobs to another one, not even knowing who the physician would be. I followed her and I followed her for so many reasons. Her, her compassion, her brilliance, her knowledge, her creativity, her ability to pick up nuances, um, helping guide me through the journey of um, being Lauren's mom. So I really need people to understand that. And, you know, we were dealing with high-end stuff. I mean, she was making recommendations. She would review them, you know, probably the next day or whatever with the neurologist, but she was handling a lot of patients and, and she was not, she was not an NP. She was a BSN prepared nurse who was just, in the incredible consummate professional and made so many recommendations to me. You probably need to go see pal care. You probably do need to see pulmonary and I'm an NP and I, but I was living the mother role, not the NP role. Right. right. And that guidance was just, I'll never forget it. And I, um, and I've told her this numerous times that I, I do talk about her all the time. So anyway. Well, I think that's so important. And, you know, I, I was digging into the history of sort of how nursing, um, emerged uh, probably last summer. Gosh, it's been a year. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like it was last summer. Yeah. But where the profession, like we, the the physician medical oriented um, origins were in, you know, curing. Like, and and so then the nurses decided, well, we're in the profession of caring, and that's you know what you're sharing is just what I think is so powerful about mm -hmm. being a nurse is that 
not only do you have the education, but you, you're able to follow the patient's trajectory and really individualized care based on someone's needs. Um, patient-centered, patient-family-centered yeah. care. I, I do get a little annoyed when I see nurses um, being portrayed as holding hands. You know, the picture, I, there's too many of those pictures. I mean, I'm not, I, I know it sounds crazy, Tiffany, but I am going to say it here. I do get like, wait a minute, because there's something about that, that, um, and I'm the most, I'm getting, I'm having uh, really, I'm DT, trying to get out of not being able to touch people because I hate that right now with COVID, you know, I'm, I'm one of those people. But, but that being said, that does give us this portrayal of we're, well, we're able to hold hands. I, there's something about it that just drives me nuts. But anyway, because yeah, I mean, we're so much more than that. <laughs> oh my gosh. And the, 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 if that came out of sort of something I said, I apologize. Um, but, no, no, it didn't. No, 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 no. I was just thinking, I don't know what made me think of it. I think no, I was. It's you know. true. It's, it is true that the media images that sort of um, circulate are really not um, diving underneath the surface no. right. of what it is to be a nurse. And I, I will often say, like, if you're able, if you've got, well, if you're in the hospital and you, where I worked was in the hospital when I gave direct care. And for me, if I could really make the experience as, po as positive as possible, knowing nobody wanted to be there, and there wasn't any sort of issues that emerged, even though, you know, you're not in the best of circumstances, like great nursing care leaves you feeling like you're cared for. Yes. Um, when yes. you, when, and then you start to notice it when it's not there, but to for something like that, like you said, you were the nurse, you were the mom role. You weren't taking on the nurse role. So you really need somebody you can trust and, mm -hmm. and who's going to really go the extra mile without right. having to be asked. Right. Yeah. And you know, this nurse was involved in research with, with the, the neurology team. She was, uh, you know, uh, coordinating um, sibling support groups for, you know, uh, children with epilepsy, neurological impairments. I mean, there's just so much yeah. you can do within our profession. And um, and I think I've already, and I know, Tiffany, you're the same, that we've done so much that when someone says, oh, you're a nurse and what hospital do you work in? That's just really, um, it's, yeah. that has to change because yeah. we, patients are absolutely everywhere. And right. I think people would be really shocked at the acuity that um, we dealt with at home. I mean, pretty much, you know, for a, 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 quite a while we were running, I would say sometimes, I, I, I'm not lying, it was like a, a step down into a, a, an ICU um, at times in my home. And that's what, you know, there's a number of people out there that are living hospital at home. Right. Yeah. Well, and wouldn't, yeah, we are the, the sort of scope of what it is available for the nursing profession has to evolve to really show like that you can really make an impact in many different ways in the lives of people all over the place, not just in a tertiary care facility. Right. And, I, and I think that nursing education needs to really change it up too. And that's why, you know, we did the symposium last, last year because, you know, the faculty and the schools need to understand where these students, uh, where, the, well, where they're going to go, but where the nurses are going to go in the future. And, right. you know, it's not going to be like, it's just interesting to me how we, we, we educate, you know, nursing students while, you know, med surge is separate from, you know, psych is separate from P whatever. And we typically train most of the time in the hospital. And, yeah. you know, frankly, med surge is everywhere as is psych, of course, <laughs> you yeah. know, and pediatric, I mean, co complexity is, oh my God. I mean, that's where these pediatric home care vented children are and, and, you know, and, you know, in other, in other settings, you know, long term care settings too. So anyway. Well, and even with the tele, the telehealth services that we've uh, <laughs> almost overnight accepted, yeah. even though yeah. it's been around for decades, that I don't see going away. Like no, I, it's not going to go away. Absolutely not. It's not as improved access so phenomenally. A lot of providers, NPs, PAs, physicians are very happy with it. And people who provide behavioral health have found, you know, for many patients, it's been um, a godsend, actually. So. Right. Well, and, you know, for, for the behavioral health perspective, 
you know, consider someone who might be in need of um, behavioral health services, but maybe just don't even want to leave their house. Mm -hmm. They, you know, being able to connect by way of a virtual platform takes that barrier away. Mm -hmm. And um, so I'm excited to see us really adopt that technology in, in a way that works not just for uh, healthcare professionals, but also for patients. I, I think that that's an exciting, um, I'm, I'm hopeful we'll see more of how that can be beneficial. Well, again, another nursing thing, we actually was championing the virtual care consortium and ended up being a virtual care project through Northeastern where we have a continuing ed program that we're rolling out. Oh, nice. And it'll be on virtual care and the, you know, the um, uh, teamwork in virtual care, artificial intelligence in virtual care, a yeah. uh, number of different modules, so. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Well, that, that leads me into sort of thinking about the next generation of, of nurses. So whether they are just new graduate nurses about to take their NCLEX, or maybe they just took the NCLEX uh, within the last few weeks. Um, what advice would you give to those new graduate nurses? And then uh, I have a follow-up question to that, but we'll start with those. <laughs> oh boy. Well, first of all, I think, um, you know, um, congratulations on what you've already accomplished. It is huge getting through, getting through your program and then, you know, awaiting the NCLEX or if you've already taken it, congratulations, you'll do fine with the NCLEX. Um, you know, I, I hated it. I'll be really honest with you and look what I've achieved. I just wasn't one of those multiple choice, you know, uh, pick, you know, two out of whatever uh, people, but I got through it. And um, so, so kudos to you, it's a huge accomplishment. I would say when I even um, see new grads at work um, that what I would say to you is really humble, I think is, is, is a word I like to use and, and humble in a good way um, to never ever be afraid to ask. Now I've been doing my job for eons and I'll sit there and I'll ask the, the NP beside me who's younger than my daughter, um, a question, and I will have no hesitancy to do so. Um, being able to tell a family member or patient, I'm not sure I'll be back. Um, those, I think that that's really a huge thing to really feel comfortable with is yeah. being comfortable with not knowing and saying so. I think that's number one. Um, finding, as we mentioned earlier, a mentor, yeah. it may not be your preceptor. It might not be, and that's okay. Um, but finding that mentor, um, you know, when I, I worked at Beth Israel uh, in Boston, my first year out of, year or so out of school, and one of my mentors was the LP, they had LPNs on the floor um, at that time. She was just, and of course I had my, my RN mentor who was extraordinary, but I also felt very comfortable going to her. She's been, she'd been on the floor for years. She was very seasoned, very kind, and, and she had a wealth of, of knowledge, you know? So I found my mentors early on. Um, so I think those would be two. And I think the other thing I would say is you've, li you've, you've lived, you're living through a pandemic. So never question your resilience. Yeah. And your ability to be calm under fire. Um, I, I'm still learning that. I'm not going to deny it. Um, but but we're, you've, you've, you've accomplished a lot through a pandemic. Remember, one in a hundred years. Be patient with yourself and be patient with others. Just be patient because, and it may be that's a struggle right now with the first job. Just remember, it will be there, believe me. Um, it's it's a, just a very... A highly unusual time, obviously, oh and just be God, patient yeah. with yourself and be kind to yourself. Um, and then the lastly, the last thing, uh, and this is something I'm going to tell you now, and I only learned it about 10 years ago, self-care. Mm -hmm. And I was, I, and a, I was the worst self-care person. I remember the dean at the time that I was working with said to me, you know, you're, you're going to get fried. You need to watch out for yourself. And that was in my 50s. Really? So... Um, you know, exercise, mindfulness, um, doing what you enjoy, remembering your priorities in life. Yeah. Um, really, really important. And, you know, you're going to have times. My first year out, I took care of a young woman who was dying of cancer. I was devastated. And it really, it, it, I personalized it. Um, 
I remember struggling during that time with it. So reach out for help if you need to, when you feel like you're struggling with something, because you're going to see as you already have, but even more so life and death and life at its best and life at its worst. You know, the self-care, I'm not far behind you. I I feel like I just figured that out in the last two years. (laughs) And, um, yeah, it's so important. Like if there's one thing that I could go back and and institute as a daily behavior. <laughs> Tiffany, it's funny you should say that because I was just thinking of that this morning. I I don't know. I just went and got my, I did go, I'm going to tell you on Zoom, oh my God, and this whole thing that I actually did go get my nails done, which I have yeah. been very, very careful with COVID. We're, you know, we're in Massachusetts, we're doing, doing well, but it's because we're doing, you know, I think in general, people are doing the right thing, but right. I did go get my nails done. But, you know, it's so funny because I'm thinking I should have been doing things like that, you know, all along, but I really, and, you know, going, taking a walk. So. Yeah. Cutting, you know, like short changing sleep, not prioritizing my care hours at a time. Like those things that you realize. (laughs) So I agree with you on all of those, especially the, the living through a pandemic that is definitely, you know, and I guess a couple of things, I guess I can, I can say a lot actually, but I won't keep on going. But you know, the other thing is just enjoy being in the presence of patients and, and really relish that, that, that connection you have with a patient and they'll pick up on that. Even if you're nervous about something you haven't done yet, or you're nervous about what's happening with them or whatever, really your connection with that patient is so incredibly powerful. It is so powerful. So just relish that and enjoy that. And, um, and, and, and occasionally use very selectively. I found you can use humor, but again, very carefully Right. in the right settings to, to make patients feel less stressed. And right. you mentioned that, um, uh, Tiffany, earlier about no one wants to be there in the hospital, which I really picked up on. And, you know, trying to lighten it up for them is is really a very, if, if you're working in the hospital or if you're working even in the home yeah. or if you're working in a community, another community setting, just lightening it up is really, can be helpful, but again, appropriate use of right. humor. Now, for those that maybe already have started their nursing career, and for me, this happened really early. Like, I knew I needed to make a change, but I felt mm-hmm. sort of alone in that process. Um, I, I had to actively sort of figure out, like, what I could, my options were. What, if there's someone like that listening, any advice you have for those looking to make a change in their career? Mm-hmm. Well, reach out. Um, and as you, your network grows, people will reach out to you too. Yeah. But, and never burn a bridge, by the way. And of course, yeah. you've heard this before, but just remember, it's really true. Um, and I think just, you know, reaching out. Um, if you have an interest maybe in a different specialty, you know, reach out if, you're, if you are in a, you know, if you are working in a hospital and you decide, you know, you're in some other, you know, go meet with the, just go meet with maybe one of the um, nurse managers or go, go talk to someone, someone that you know that works in that field. Um, I think that you just need to make the connections. You do have to get out of yourself. It's, it's important to do that, to um, have new experiences. Um, you know, even just talking to, um, you know, looking at jobs that are being listed and maybe going for the interview and maybe speaking to the, you know, the, whoever's doing the interview the nurse manager or, you know, asking to, to, to shadow for a little while, if that's possible. I know sometimes it's not with HIPAA, but it might be. I think it's important to, um, you just got to reach out um, and ask, you know, um, and not be afraid of change. Right. I know um, you'll probably find this um, entertaining or humorous. Um, So for those listening, I got my master's in nursing and MBA at, at Northeastern where um, Dr. Rico is the assistant dean in the School of Nursing. And when I was looking at graduate programs, I was terrified <laughs> <laughs> if I could do it for one. And I went to an information session. This was before, this was around AOL dial up age, so that the, the internet searches were not as sophisticated as they are today. And I ran into Jane, Jane Arroyan, and I went to one information session. 
and Jane was at the table. And then I went to a second. <laughs> and I was still the only one at the table, but Jane was there and Jane looked at me and said, now Tiffany, next time I want to see your application. I don't want to give you at another one of these. <laughs> I did that for my, um, for my doctoral program. I did it for the master's. Well, not the MBA as much, but the master's. I, um, you know, I went and I just talked yeah. to people. Actually, even before I did the NP, I went and talked to faculty at a couple of schools because I wasn't sure, you know, I just yeah. talked to people, you know? Yeah. yeah. So it's just, um, you know, the second time she, she just had a way of just being like, oh, I don't think you need to come again. <laughs> oh, that's great. You don't need, just apply. <laughs> right. All right. So the last question, Janet, unless you have something else you want to make sure I, we cover. Um, and we've talked a little bit about this. Is there anything you'd like to share with our audience about being a nurse that may not be well known or understood by the general public? Mm. Yeah, I think I kind of, you know, we, I, I think I answered that a little earlier in some ways. I mean, I think that I, I don't think the public, I think the public envisions us solely in the hospital most of the time. And I, I think that we as a profession, and again, academics too, need to really, um, you know, really start moving the, the, the mindset of what nursing really is because you know i envision us really in the future maybe following patients through through the hospitalization through the maybe the rehab to the home and and in actually owning those transitions of care too so right i think that that's one of the biggest things i think i see as a real gap um and the understanding of what nurses even did during covid outside the hospital setting too and i am not believe me again i'll go and be over at mgh and doing my work with those nurses there they're phenomenal but i'm just saying that all the other uh, the rest of our profession doing the work outside plus post discharge when people are really still sick who's yeah. me, who's doing that on the other side so that's one of my big things i think the public needs to understand very good is there anything I didn't ask you? That you think oh, I think we covered a lot, Tiffany. I think. <laughs> yeah, and I feel like I could talk to you for several more hours. <laughs> we always do, Tiffany. I love here. I love talking to you. Janet is um, such a lovely person, and always makes you feel um, special. Whether you're guest lecturing or a student or a patient, and just has a way about her that you would never know just how busy she is because she gives you her undivided attention when oh, thanks Tiffany I feel the same about you too really a skill in this world where everybody's moving at the speed of light yeah. so if you're looking um you know for a change and want to connect with Janet um Janet is it okay if we share your email oh, of course yes definitely I'll put that in the bio for folks and I just really appreciate this. I really enjoy doing these interviews because even though we've known each other for years, I learned so much each <laughs> time about stuff I didn't know. And so I'm glad that we're able to share it with other people as well. Well, thank you so much, Tiffany, for this opportunity to, yeah. you know, talk about what I'm, what I love nursing and um, just been great. And thank you so much for the opportunity. And thank you for doing this. It's really important yeah. work. So great, Janet. Well, um, thank you again. Thank you to all of the listeners who joined us for today's episode of Know My Nursing Story. We at Nightingale Apps would love to hear what you think about the podcast. If today's story resonated with you, we'd be delighted if you'd let us know or share with your friends and family. If you are a nurse who has a story you think we should consider, please reach out to us. We're always looking for new Know My Nursing Story guests. With that, stay safe and be well. This is Dr. Tiffany Kelly.